Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we'll be talking about pap smears with Dr. Stephanie Lamb. Stephanie, welcome to the Healthful Woman podcast. Hi there. Pap smears. Sexy topic. (laughs) It's a big one. It's, it's a big, big one. one. Who who doesn't love their pap smear? Yeah. Um, maybe just one person. Everyone yeah. loves coming to the gynecologist. Everyone loves the gynecologist. But pap smears have been one of the most effective cancer screening inventions in history. Correct. And I'm not sure if everyone knows that, but the reason women get pap smears is really just to screen and prevent cervical cancer. Correct. People come to the gynecologist for many different reasons, but by far one of the big reasons why women should come for their annual. And some of the guidelines have changed over the last several years, but is specifically to rule out and screen for cervical cancer. And that's done most effectively by a simple procedure, a simple thing to do, which is called a pap smear. And the pap smear takes two to three minutes and it's done at the time of your GYN checkup. And guideline wise, nobody needs a pap smear less than the age of 21. And over the age of 65, most recently, the guidelines say that you no longer need pap smears. But in between, all of our female patients should be getting them. And the interval of time varies a little bit based upon age, but everyone should get a pap smear. Right. And so some of the details for for one, the reason it's called a pap smear, because not everyone knows this, is actually after the person who invented it, Dr. Papadopoulou. Yeah. And yeah, that's a lot harder to say than pap. So <laughs> it just became pap smear. I'm not sure if he appreciated his name getting abridged in that sense. And then the, the idea behind the pap smear and And cancer screening in general is cancer is obviously a very concerning condition to Mm -hmm. have, but cancer is much more treatable if it's caught in an early stage. And stage by cancer usually means it's localized to one area and the cancer itself is less developed or less unusual. And so there are some cancers that we have not been able to find a way to catch it early necessarily. Like ovarian cancer is a very difficult cancer to prevent because it's hard to find it. Pancreatic cancer, same idea. Before it's already advanced where the prognosis is worse, the treatments aren't as good. But cervical cancer is something that is slow growing usually, meaning it does not usually go from zero to 60 very quickly. It's uh, usually pretty slow growing. And there is a way with the pap smear to get some of the cells off of the edge of the cervix and then put them under a microscope in the lab. And they can say these look perfectly normal, in which case the chance of you getting cervical cancer in the next one, two, three, whatever years is very low, or they look slightly abnormal, in which case you you know follow up closer, or they look very abnormal, in which case we need to either do a biopsy or sometimes remove some of the cervix or start with treatments. But if someone gets their pap smears at the recommended frequency, the likelihood of developing cervical cancer, it's not zero, but it's close to zero. It's exceedingly rare. It's close to zero, which is really one of the great benefits. And what's got added to the pap smear over the past, you know, 10 to 20 years is testing for HPV, the human papillomavirus, which is a viral test that's done at the same time, because that's from the realization that pretty much all the cervical cancer starts with an infection, with a virus. Right. So I think that that probably is something that a lot of people are unaware of. There tends to be a link between cervical cancer and being a carrier for this HPV or human papillomavirus. Right. Certain types of it. Correct. And so HPV, to get technical, 
gets broken down into low risk types and high risk types. The low risk types of HPV typically are the ones that patients will develop genital warts, and those are more of a sexually transmitted disease and a cosmetic thing. HPV high risk, and there's different numbers of each of these high risk, but high risk HPV are the types that lead to or have an increased risk for precancers of the cervix and atypical cells. And so when we screen women for pap smears, depending upon age, under the age of 30, predominantly, we do not screen women for HPV. We screen them on their pap smear. Over the age of 30, we routinely test women for HPV. And if someone is HPV positive, how you manage these patients gets tailored a little bit based upon what the pap shows and the number of type of HPV. And so out of HPVs, which are high risk, there's a number 16 and a number 18. These two have, have a higher predilection or higher correlation with precancers. Those tend to be a little bit more aggressive. Those we tend to follow more aggressively. And then those we would lead to biopsy more frequently. But just like you alluded to, just because your pap may show irregular cells, it will take at least 15 years on average for you to have a high risk, high grade or a precancer that's that worrisome or even a cancer. So if you go to the gynecologist, which as a gynecologist, I feel is super important and you have these screening tests, you will have something picked up early. It is something that an intervention can be done and you could be followed. And if there was to be a cancer, if for some reason you didn't get to go to the doctor, usually is highly curable at an early stage. So for patients, we're huge advocates of getting this pap test and obviously co-testing with HPV if that patient is of the age and it's appropriate. Right. And that also brings along two important points. One in terms of prevention is that the HPV, there's a vaccine. Correct. For that. So that's, Correct. that's given to children, right? The thought is to give it to them before they become sexually active because the, the virus is transmitted sexually. And so it's given to children, both girls and boys, more importantly, girls, because they're more likely to benefit it from it. But boys also, many of them will be recommended to get it so they don't, as they get older, either there are cancers that can develop in, in men from HPV, but also so they don't spread it. So in the population, it will reduce the risk of cervical cancer. Correct. And that's an important vaccine that people sometimes don't think about because they always think of infections like where they're going to be sick. But this is really a vaccine that could prevent cancer. Correct. The HPV vaccination has been out several years now. It is offered and recommended for all young children between the ages of nine, starting around the age of nine, and used to be offered exclusively to the age of 26 because they felt that that age group between nine and 26 were patients who would have the highest yield. And most doctors have been offering it to patients beyond the age of 26, depending upon if they're not in a monogamous relationship, they're still sexually active with new partners, or they had never been exposed and they would benefit from getting the vaccination. But I think the pediatricians have done a really decent job of speaking to the patient, the, the parents, uh, and trying to get the vaccine out there because it is a life-saving vaccination. This is not for the flu. This is something that is a cancer-preventative immunization. Exactly. I 100% agree. And then the other aspect is, you know, you were mentioning guidelines and how often people come, and that differs from time to time, meaning the guidelines change every year or two, mm -hmm. and also different societies put out different guidelines. And, and the reason this happens, and sometimes people get confused as why is everyone changing, is the paradigm for a screening test is something that you know, if you're going to do it, you don't want to have to do it too frequently. And the reason is number one, it's just, you know, it could be inconvenient or maybe it's women find it uncomfortable either physically or just it's annoying to have to go to the doctor's office. So you don't want to have to do it too frequently, but you don't want to do it too infrequently that you may miss something. So that's one thing you're balancing. And the second thing you're balancing is the more time you screen, 
the more likely you can find an abnormal result that would not lead to cancer. But if the if the follow-up test to that is like a biopsy or procedure or something that might be painful uh, or potentially risky, that's also something. So all of these guidelines are taking the new evidence we have every year and trying to balance not screening women too frequently with not screening women too infrequently and trying to balance that. And that's why there's always algorithms where you have a, you know, how often you come and then if the screen is abnormal, well, how abnormal is it? And what do you do? And, you know, what is the follow-up? Because the follow-up test to an abnormal pap smear is usually something called a colposcopy, correct? Correct. So explain what a colposcopy is. Your screening test is something that looks at large populations of people to try to pick up something that can be risky, that we can make an intervention for and try to diagnose something else. So a pap smear is what everyone does when they come to the doctor. If they have an abnormality on their pap smear, then becomes a diagnostic test. And that's a more specific tool to take a look at what you have and see, is there truly something there that we need to worry about? Or is it something that we can just follow? So a colposcopy is a way of looking at the cervix that's a little bit more specific. And that is the patient comes on in and we use a tool which the colposcopy is a microscope. And that microscope is a procedure that's done in the office. It's a quick procedure. It takes about five minutes. And what we do with this microscope, it's similar to a pap smear in that we use a speculum, we put it inside the vagina, and then we use this vinegar solution called acetic acid. And we put the vinegar solution on the cervix. And with the microscope, we look at the cervix and we look to see if this acetic acid is absorbed and that there's any white spots or atypical look of the cervix. And with to this point, it's it, in terms of like discomfort, it's, it's, it's the same nothing. as a pap smear. It's exactly right. the same as a pap right. smear. So this so, point, the only difference is on, as on the doctor's end, instead of looking with the naked eye, you look through this there's sort no of touch. Like microscope Right. Procedure. At this point, the only and thing the vinegar that's happening, doesn't hurt. the vinegar right. does not hurt. The, uh, it's actually very funny. So the vinegar itself may cause a little of a tingling sensation or a little of a a slight sensation in the cervix. There's no pain. The colposcopy, how I try to sum it up to patients, is really a three-step procedure. First, you put the speculum in. Then we apply the acetic acid or the vinegar. And it's just vinegar. Literally, that's it. Then we look, which is part two. And then depending upon what we see, once we give that vinegar enough time to absorb, then we decide if we need to do a biopsy or not. And it's a thoughtful process. Not everybody needs a biopsy when they come for a colposcopy. Colposcopy can just be a look and see. Now, the cervix, which is the opening to the uterus, is kind of like a long canal. There's an outside part, which is in the vagina. And then there's a little tunnel that goes inside the uterus. We look at the outside with the microscope microscope. And then we try to sample some cells with a little brush like we do for a pap smear at the end, if it's deemed appropriate. And we sample those cells because we can't see with the naked eye. If the colposcopy does not require a biopsy, then most patients come back at least six months and usually a year based upon whatever their pap smear shows and whatever their history is. Patients are comfortable. They can go back to work. They can go back to regular activity. There's no limitations from a colposcopy without a biopsy. Pretty much there's no limitations if you even have to do a biopsy. But the biopsy itself, we try to do as few as we need to do. We don't take a ton if we don't need to. And it's guided specifically only at the areas where we see some atypical cells or colors or white. And then we put some medicine on to stop any bleeding. The biopsy itself will give you some cramping. Usually it's not severe pain. And most patients can go back to their normal activity afterwards. So I think the anxiety for the patient is way worse than the procedure. Patients get very nervous about what a colposcopy means. And many are pleasantly surprised that when they're done, it's really not painful in the least. Right. It's not like an operation. There's no, no recovery no. time or anything. And the procedure itself, the cervix doesn't have the same pain sensor 
Like if someone wanted to take a biopsy of your arm, right? right? You hurt. would need numbing medication. Right. You, need, right. you need something to numb the skin of the arm. Otherwise, it would, it would really hurt. But when you get a biopsy of the cervix, it's not the same way because nope. it doesn't have the same pain fibers. For some patients, we do tell them that they may benefit from taking some Advil 45 minutes ahead of time. It takes right. the just edge off a little bit just for cramping. It takes the edge off a little bit. But beyond that, I think the vast majority of patients across the country are just coming in for their colposcopy. And most of them are going back to their normal activity. There's really no downtime after the colposcopy. Right. And then usually the results of the biopsy from the colposcopy are either completely normal or only slightly abnormal that you wouldn't have to do anything other than come back, like you said, in six months, a year or whatever, and repeat either a pap smear or repeat the colposcopy, meaning there's really not much that has to be done for Correct. most people afterward. The interesting thing about pap smears and HPV is HPV is extraordinarily common. It is the most common virus that we know about. About 70% of patients will come up with some positive pap smear over their lifetime with a positive HPV test. Positive meaning abnormal. Abnormal, right. correct. Positive not being happy, but positive right. meaning abnormal. Patients in general will have some HPV positive or abnormal pap smear at some point in their career of coming to the doctor. And out of those, 85% or more will go back to normal PAPs without doing anything. So this is something that we look for and we always reassure the patients, do not do not freak out just if we call you. It's something that we want to follow you for, but majority of these will go back to normal and don't need any intervention. If in the small population of patients, somewhere around 15%, if you do come back with that high grade or higher risk HPV with a higher risk biopsy or something that looks more irregular or more suspicious or more precancerous, then there's something to do to help prevent it get to cancer. And that procedure is a wider biopsy, typically called a leap cone biopsy or cone biopsy. Also, not a major procedure, something that is done either in the doctor's office or an outpatient facility. And those patients do extremely well, and they go on to cures in 95 to 99% of the population. So coming for your pap smear is the best thing that you could do because we catch things early and even if we have to do something, it is something that is not painful. Like it's really, it's well tolerated. You know, in terms of the follow-up, if the biopsy is abnormal, like you said, it doesn't mean it's abnormal, you have cancer. Correct. Or no, it, it means it's abnormal and it could be pre-cancer. And then there's a secondary procedure, which is like a, a biopsy, but much larger. Correct. And then again, that could be completely curative. And then they're done because now you've removed that portion of the cervix. And I think that the takeaway message, like you said, is, you know, cervical cancer, if undetected and found at a late stage, like all cancers, is going to be very bad. But for people who come for the appropriate screening, which basically just means come to your gynecologist and they'll do it and they'll tell you when to come back. And if you sort of do what he or she says, the chance of getting cervical cancer is extremely low, which is great. And the chance of even needing anything that's painful or will affect your life is also extremely low. You may end up having to come back or you may end up needing a biopsy. And most people don't even need that. And that's uh, and that's basically the takeaway message that all I got to do is show up and, and pretty much every gynecologists will know what to do because there's there are a lot of published guidelines and exactly what to do to not get tested too much and not get tested too, too little too frequently yeah i think similar to why cervical cancer numbers have dropped so tremendously why people are surviving this disease why people are not getting to the stages that they are is because the pap smear has been such a good screening test and specifically i think going forward in the future using this hpv vaccination and getting kids immunized and getting them to the doctor so that way they can build up a resistance so that they 
they are not exposed to the HPV disease makes a big difference. Not smoking, another simple thing that can make a difference for HPV longevity. Like good lifestyle, healthy eating, exercise, all of it makes a difference on the body. And anything you could do to build up your immune system makes a big difference. But coming to the doctor, just like you do for your mammogram or colonoscopy screening tests, the pap smear is the same idea. Fantastic. So pap smears are our friend. Pap smears are our friend. Steph Lamb, thank you so much for coming on Health Woman and talking about pap smears. We're looking forward to having you on again. One of my favorite topics. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.